it's a very true chorus. I think it's important to recognize that when we sing people need the Lord, that includes us. We need him every moment of every day. If you have your copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the 23rd Psalm. For the next six or seven weeks, we're going to camp out in this psalm. And as I begin this message, I hope to explain why we're going to be taking extended time to look at this psalm that is probably the best known of all the psalms. Thank you again for your prayers in this past week. It was a good week uh, for Emma, still doing things in, in therapy that are encouraging and good. And so we are very thankful and we thank you for your continued prayers. It's six verses long, and so each Sunday as I'm preaching through this, we're going to read the entire thing. It's not a bad thing to do at all. Anytime you read the scripture, that's good. But one of the things about repetition is it helps us to remember. So as we read this entire psalm each week, this may be a way to help us, if we haven't already, to memorize this, and to take it to heart. So follow with me as I begin at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray again. Father, it's blessed my heart to even look out at the congregation and to see people reciting this as I read it this morning. Father, we recognize that every word of the Bible is divinely inspired. It's your word. But Father, sometimes there are passages that resonate very deeply with us. And Father, for me and for many in this congregation, these verses penned by your servant David fall into that category father I pray that this morning as we open your word and as we consider it that we will take to heart what David wrote the Lord is my shepherd so father we ask you to speak to us and give us ears to hear and incline our hearts to obey father for we need you like the words written by Robert Robinson so long ago, we are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. So thank you for being the good shepherd that pulls us back into yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The American poet Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote these words. What we are worshiping we are becoming what we are worshiping we are becoming Emerson was making the point that whatever is the focal point of our worship 
whatever it is that defines our lives, whatever it is that drives us, whatever it is we desire, will shape our identities. Worship, indeed, is the crucial point of our lives. We were made to be worshiping beings. It's part of our DNA. Humans cannot help but hold something up as the center of our existence, something that we form our lives around, something that shapes how we use our time, the resources that we are given. We are worshiping beings. Now, part of the challenge we have is that we limit worship to only one hour on Sunday morning. So we view, well, I've gone to worship and now I've got the other how many ever hours there are in the week to do whatever I want. That definition of worship is too limited. When we come together, we worship corporately as a body with other believers, but we are worshiping 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. Worship is not something we turn on and off. Since worship defines who we are, it's something that is constantly churning in our minds. It drives us. Who or what we worship is what drives us, and it's what we look to to deliver us. What we worship determines our thoughts, and it develops our identities. And as I said, everyone worships. It's interesting to me when I read non-believers who recognize this. One such testimony comes from the late American author David Foster Wallace. You may not be familiar with his name, but in literary circles, he's recognized as one of the best writers of the late 20th century. Tragically, he died of his own hand in 2008. While giving a commencement address, he said something very interesting as it relates to worship. He said, actually, there is no such thing as atheism. That's very interesting. No such thing as atheism. Everybody, quote, worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, and pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Now, I think Foster's right about one thing and wrong about another. I think what he says about worship is absolutely true, but here is where he is wrong. There is one thing, one being whom we will worship that will not eat us alive, and that is the Lord God himself. It is when we fall into idolatry and worship any of the other things that he mentioned that we will find our souls being consumed by the very thing we desire. That's why Christian author A.W. Tozer echoed this when he said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If what we worship shapes our identity, then what we think about God will be the most crucial thing in our lives. I think Tozier is on to something, and so that is why for the next six or seven weeks, we're going to be talking about worship by diving in to this psalm. And I pray this will be like a, a recalibration. 
One time our family rented a vehicle to take on a trip. Our car van had a lot of miles on it, and so this vehicle we rented had an onboard GPS. And I thought, man, that's going to be cool. But there was a problem. The GPS had been calibrated wrong. And even though we were driving through South Carolina, it kept telling me I was in Harlan, Kentucky. It needed to be recalibrated. Sometimes we need to be recalibrated in our worship. To really get a picture of where we are. Since I agree with what Tozer said, that's why we're going to camp out in the 23rd Psalm to think about who God is. And my prayer in beginning this series is that it will push us. It will push us in this way. Not to think about God as an intellectual exercise. So that when we read this idea of God as our shepherd, it won't be just knowing the facts. But to push us to ask, is God my shepherd? What's my experience of following him? When he speaks in verse 4 of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Asking ourselves that hard question, does fear characterize my life? Now the first verse is probably the most well known. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now what David is doing in this verse is he is helping us to understand God by way of analogy. In other words, since God is above us, God is, is far beyond what we could understand is in a different category of being. One of the ways that we come to know and understand God is by way of analogy. Taking something we know and saying God is like this. So David takes something he's very familiar with, a shepherd. We know David served as a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He served his father as a shepherd, taking care of the flock. So David understands God in this way and in doing so helps us to understand something about who God is. Taking something we're familiar with and then applying it to God so that we can understand. Now, all throughout the scripture, we see this. Analogies tell us something about the character of God. For example, Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, God is the rock. Now, we know God is not a literal rock. I hope you know that. So the question is, what is this telling me about God when it says God is the rock? Well, it's communicating something about God's stability, his strength. He is immovable. You could go on through the scripture. God is a strong tower. God is a mighty warrior. God is my shield. All of those telling us something about who God is in our daily experience. So David teaches us to say that the Lord is my shepherd. Now that theme is the predominant one in this psalm, but it's not the only one. Verses 1 through 3, he is our shepherd. In verse 4, he is our God. In verses 5 and 6, the Lord is our host. But underneath those images of God and host is shepherd. Now, it was interesting to me in studying and preparing for this that there are critics of the gospel skeptics who have begun arguing that this idea of God as a shepherd is a bad thing. Now hear me out on this. This is what is said, what they say. A shepherd only cares for the sheep because he gets something out of the sheep. Why does a shepherd care for his flock? 
They say, well, the shepherd cares for his flock so that he can get the wool and benefit from them or, or maybe even slaughter them to get food from them. So they argue if this image of God as a shepherd is accurate, they're saying that God is really a selfish being who shepherds us because he gets something from us. But I want to be clear, that simply will not do. First of all, God does not need anything from us. What could we give God? What could we give God that he's lacking? So this idea that God cares for us so that he can get something from us is false by, by the very definition of who God is. We give him nothing. The second thing to keep in mind is this. The scripture describes us as his flock. But there's an interesting caveat that is given. I direct your attention to the screen, Micah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, this image of shepherd is not just found in Psalm 23. It's found all throughout the Old Testament and even as we read in John in the New. In Micah, Micah describes God, and this is a prayer where he says, Shepherd your people with your staff. But look at the phrase that is underlined. The flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. The flock of your inheritance. The scripture often refers to God's people as his inheritance. It's a way of communicating that we belong to him, but also this, that we have value to God. We are valuable to him. So if we establish that God has no need and God cares for us, then we have to draw the conclusion, I believe from this, it is because we have a value to God. God, when he calls us in his inheritance, or the flock of his inheritance, is saying we are valuable to him. And the amazing thing is to me, when I think, why should I be of value to God, I can think of no reason. It's simply because God has chosen to give his love. When my mother passed away, and of course my father had died four years earlier, of course there were belongings that we began to sort through, and there was an interesting thing to me that I have it's actually a set of holiday glasses for dinner that I've kept now the truth is these are the stemware that mom would get out every Christmas when we ate now, you have to understand I love my mother dearly but she could pinch a penny these glasses are not china they're not crystal Actually, I think she got them at Arby's when they were giving them away. And every Christmas, though, she would get them out. They are precious to me. Somebody else would look at them and say, those are cheap. I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. You touch them, you're going to draw back a nub. They have value to me. When I think of value we have to God as our shepherd it's not because we give him anything if anything we've rebelled against him but he has set his love upon us so that we are his sheep and he cares for us because he loves us and he is a good shepherd don't read over the first two words too quickly the Lord who is this shepherd in the Hebrew it says Yahweh Yahweh is my shepherd. It goes back to say, the one who shepherds us, the one who has value in us, is the God who has made a covenant with us. He is a personal God. 
No, to say he is personal means that he can be known and he has made himself known. He is relational at his very being. The God we worship is not some cosmic force. He is not the universe. He is not some vague and undefined God. To the contrary, he is the God of redemption. He is the God of the exodus. He is the God of the covenant. So when David says the Lord, he is saying the God who has redeemed his people, the God who has entered into covenant, the God who has delivered them is our shepherd. Now the interesting thing also is that it was not uncommon for other cultures to use this phrase shepherd to describe either their king or their false gods. For example, many of you in world history classes may remember of the hearing of the Code of Hammurabi. Well, Hammurabi referred to himself as a shepherd of his people. So we need to ask this question then. If other deities are compared to a shepherd, if other kings say they are a shepherd, we need to ask ourselves this. What sets our God apart? All right. If all these others will claim this, what sets the God of Scripture apart? Well, we've already seen one thing. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. But as we dive a little deeper, we see that our God is set apart by His character. Upon the screen, you'll see Exodus 34. This is a, an incredible passage where Moses has said, Lord, show me your glory. God descends in the cloud. He stands before him and he proclaims the name of the Lord. In other words, when God proclaims his name, he says, Moses, I'm letting you know who I am. God is personal. He reveals himself. So the Lord passes before him. He proclaims the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. To the third and the fourth generation. You see our God stands out because he is compassionate while being just. When you study the gods of this world, they will destroy you. David Foster Wallace was right. If you follow, follow any other god, you will not find compassion. You will find anger and destruction. But it is the God of the scripture who says clearly, I am gracious and compassionate and just. This image of the compassionate God carries over. Isaiah 40 verse 11 once again will be on the screens. He, that is Yahweh, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Our shepherd knows us. He will carry them in his bosom. That's the image of the shepherd picking up the small you and carrying him near. Keeping him warm. Our God is distinct from all the other gods of this world. He is compassionate. I find myself remembering the promises in the Old Testament of the compassionate God. Did you know in the Old Testament tells us that a tender reed God will not break. It tells us in the Old Testament that an ember that is smoldering, God will not extinguish. 
God's character is one of grace and compassion and truth. And that's what's so amazing. As I said, there's no value within us that should cause him to love us. But he does, and he redeems us. So it's not only who he is that sets him apart, it's what he does. How is he different from all the other quote-unquote shepherds of this world? He is gracious and compassionate. And if you look up on the screen, you'll need to see another way that he is different. Moses says these words in Deuteronomy 4. Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? He says, has any other shepherd ever gone into another land and delivered his flock from that land by the midst of signs and powers? Our shepherd is compassionate and he saves. Our shepherd is faithful and he redeems. Our shepherd is just and he judges rightly and correctly. There is no shepherd like the Lord. That's what tells us some interesting things about our God. He tends to his sheep. A shepherd tends the sheep by leading them to the place where they can graze. Verse 2, we'll pick up on that. He protects his sheep. Believer, do you know God is protecting you even this moment? He's protecting me and he's protecting you in ways we don't even understand. Philippians 4, 7 says this, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Believers, we need to be aware we have a very real enemy, Satan, who would destroy us if he were given the opportunity. But our God guards us, watches over us, protects us in ways you and I don't even understand. And that is one of the reasons we should worship him. As a shepherd, he is guiding and guarding. And that's why David says at the conclusion of verse 1, I shall not want. Because God is my shepherd. I won't be lacking. I won't be in need. In other words, because God is the shepherd, we will have exactly what we need. The famed Scottish Presbyterian preacher John Knox once said, since Yahweh is my shepherd, how can I lack for anything? And this is where we need to pause a moment. Because we know the reality is the truth of God's word. But we look around at our experience and we know that believers have experienced deprivation. Believers know hunger. They know persecution. Throughout church history, Believers know what it is to lose their homes and their families. So now we're at this moment where it's almost like slot A of our theology, I shall not once, doesn't seem to fit in that, that place for slot B of experience. That's why I want to remind you that when you read the testimonies of those who suffer, it's amazing to find a contentment in the midst of that. That even though there may be physical deprivation, there is also satisfaction. Even though believers suffer persecution, you still hear believers saying, I have everything that I need. 
It's to know that God supplies what we need that goes beyond even the things of this world. We may suffer loss for our faith. We will know grief. But we know that even in the midst of that, God, our shepherd, will supply exactly what we need so that we can know contentment. Now remember, this is not just saying God is our shepherd. This is on a personal level. It's being able to say the Lord is my shepherd. The late Christian author Dallas Willard pointed out that the Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than it is lives. The Lord is my shepherd reflects a personal relationship and a commitment to follow him. When Jesus uttered the words that I read earlier in John chapter 10, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The background of that is the 23rd Psalm. This is a place where Jesus is saying, I am God. How does Jesus show he is the good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. Can we this morning say that he is my shepherd? You see, we can have a lot of different shepherds. There's a little book that I'll probably be referring to a lot, and I would encourage you to get it. It's a good devotional read. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Keller lived in Africa for a while as a shepherd. He reflects that on the land next to his there was another farmer who also owned sheep. But this farmer didn't take good care of his sheep. He didn't take care of the land they lived on or nothing. He just kind of left the sheep on their own. And Keller said it was amazing that when he would come out to tend his flock and watch over them, these emaciated, neglected sheep would come to the fence and just kind of look longingly. If only he were our shepherd look they've actually got grass to eat and he makes the point not every shepherd is a good shepherd we're warned of this in the scripture upon the screen you'll see Psalm 49 14 like sheep they are appointed for Sheol death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. We need to take a look at who our shepherd is. Are we looking to the things of this world to guide us, to give us value, to show us the way to go? Or are we looking even to ourselves? Paul Miller does an interesting exercise with the 23rd Psalm. He says, what would happen in the 23rd Psalm if you removed references to God, if you took out the idea that the Lord is my shepherd, Paul Miller says this is what you come out with. My, verse 1, I shall be in want. Verse 2 is me, me. Verse 3, my soul, me. In verse 4, if you remove God as shepherd, you get this. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear me, me. 
Verse 5, you remove God, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, my cup. And finally in verse 6, if God is removed, it's me all the days of my life, I will dwell. Very self-centered, very empty. This morning I hope you can say with confidence what David wrote. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing an invitation. It's a familiar hymn, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. So I ask you again, can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? This morning, in hearing this, the Holy Spirit may be bringing you to take inventory of your life. You're recognizing that you haven't followed the Lord as your shepherd. You've looked to other things, other people, other events, or even, as I read there at the end, your own intuition to shepherd you. Our God is gracious and compassionate. And this morning, if you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, that is the shepherd with his staff, pulling you back into himself.